Rolling. We're rolling. All right, Artist Free Now, this is Aiden. This is Kyle. Today we're here with Matt Coleman. Matt Coleman. Hey, Matt. <laughs> on site. Yeah. In the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, Fresh thank new you. studio. Yeah. That's yeah, a nice Just space. put the first, like, dozen tack holes over there to hang that stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. That's <laughs> yeah, brand new. This mm-hmm. is uh, recent stuff. Uh, that's stuff that I made second year of grad school. Okay. So it's newer. It's okay. the stuff that I'm still trying to show and get out there and stuff but not right now because no shows are happening <laughs> yeah right yeah. it's kind of a weird mm-hmm. uh, that's weird the first stuff i'll be putting out there once it's back okay <laughs> oh yeah how was uh, everyone's thanksgiving went well low-key yeah. <laughs> yeah same try to just keep it keep the circle small yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i think i gained like six or seven pounds <laughs> I yeah. kept it pretty steady. I try not to overeat. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's like I keep it steady most of the time. And yeah. then, you know, Thanksgiving comes. And, like, mm. on the day of, I think I had maybe five or six plates. <laughs> day after, I had, like, four or five plates. And then Saturday, I had, I think, two or three plates. But, wow. uh you know, you gotta have a good time. <laughs> yes, once uh, a year. If I go more than two, I definitely regret that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, now this week is um, recovery week. Yeah. You know, so I'm gonna be in the gym every day, trying to get back to. For sure. Back to baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, has anybody seen all? Did you watch Harry Potter? No. You watch Harry Potter? I know very little about Harry Potter. USA had the. Harry Potter marathon, I think on TV the, the last couple mm-hmm. days, as Charlie outside. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I'm gonna have to let him in. He's gonna do that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more the merrier. You're just gonna stand there and do that the entire like. Hey Charlie. Hey Charlie. <laughs> yeah, it's like Harry Potter ended in I think what like 2010 or 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I, I, have no I idea. still don't know how the thing, how the, the whole series ends, but I just watched a couple of the, hey Charlie, I just watched a couple of the movies I haven't seen. Yeah. They were good. <laughs> and then my sister gave me the DVDs mm-hmm. to borrow, so I think I'm going to watch those this week sometime, finish up everything. And my only exposure to Harry Potter was I saw the very first movie, haven't read any of the books, mm. haven't seen any other movies, and that one movie was fine. It's just like, That's fair. <laughs> I was like 20, 19 or 20 years old when it came out. I was like, it's kind of kid stuff to me. I don't know. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. yeah. I think totally. I was like, geez, <laughs> seven, six or seven when the first one came out. I have no seven idea. Seven or eight. Yeah, that's the thing. Is when I'm talking to younger people, it's like, it's been around so long. It's been around as long as like, you know, Star Wars was for me when I was younger. That was out about like 20 four or five years by the time I graduated high school. So that was like, that had always been around in my life. Yeah. Just like everybody knew it and watched it. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily like militant or psycho about it or anything, but definitely like the original trilogy. And then like I talked to these younger kids and I don't have that point of reference with Harry Potter. And they're like, you've never seen Harry Potter. Like, no, I was like (laughs) 23. (laughs) Like, why am I going to go watch Harry Potter? But I I know there's plenty of people that are my age that do like it. It's just like, Wizards and Dragons isn't really my thing either, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's one of, like, I feel like the three top, like, hero series movies are, like, Star Wars, Harry Potter, 
And Lord of the Rings. Mm. Yeah. Is there, yeah, Lord of the Rings is another one where it, like it just doesn't. I can't get into resonate that one. with me. No, I it's can't. It's like get the into Wizards and Dragons thing. It's like <laughs> I don't know what it is about <laughs> Lord of the Rings. I can't get into, but Harry Potter, I like. I like Lord of the Rings more than I like Harry Potter. What about Star Wars? I like Star Wars too. Which which is what's your hierarchy? Probably Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and Harry Potter. <laughs> My hierarchy is Star Wars, Harry Potter. And then just not even on my list is Lord of the Rings. It's not even in my <laughs> <laughs> Some serious hate for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I just can't do it. I don't know. I mean, I yeah. think they're like beautifully made and they're respected and critically acclaimed. I but... remember really liking the the second one. I don't really? remember what it was called. <laughs> is that the Twins? I watched it. Yeah, it might have been. I watched it in the theater and I really enjoyed that one. The first one I thought was pretty dull. Yeah. And then the third one was... Just like a huge action movie, like you'd kind of expect from a big blockbuster at that time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think too the the theater experience can make or break a movie. Well, like if you see something in the theater versus for the first time if you see it at home, I think it can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a more like grand experience in the theater. Yeah, you but, definitely have to pay more attention there too for like, sure yeah you're like if something's on tv focus. you're not totally dialed in the whole yeah thing. and in the commercials you got the cell phone mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. like you're not fully but uh yeah that was uh we'll have to see what happens nice. to movie theaters after all this too though. yeah i hope yeah. everything i think they're just the big ones are just gonna kind of fade away <laughs> like be to hear that. turn into petcos or something yeah <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> I think like the little neighborhood niche theaters, like you know, the Oriental or the Downer. Those will there's a point to going to those, mm-hmm. and because it's the experience of going there. But mm-hmm. there's no point to going to Marcus theaters other than to see the next Lord of the Rings installment or something. Yeah. Right. You, can, yeah. you can stream that now, and they've like really streamlined streaming, where it's going to be more common, I think, for pe- that type of movie to people just want to sit in there comfy living rooms and see it they're already trying to get people in there with those dream loungers which are awesome like a lot of people have those in the house now too basically like lazy boys when they got like the round like the curved tvs oh yeah. is that yeah. still a thing or do people not really buy into that anymore uh i'm not really a tv yeah. guy i've never invested a lot in no. yeah. tvs but yeah, like half the experience of going to the Oriental is to like see the architecture and the mm-hmm. yeah, totally know. just the environment for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, should we jump yeah, into it? Let's jump in. Sure. So, uh, Matt Coleman, you're an artist, writer, journalist, journalist. Mm-hmm. originally from Kansas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's one of the only states I have not been to. What's What's <laughs> Kansas like? Um sort of everything you'd expect but not always yeah <laughs> lawrence where i'm from it's where university of kansas is okay and that's where i got my first couple degrees and uh it's it's a for wisconsinites i guess like the proxy would be like a very small slice of madison okay because it's mm-hmm. only like 80 maybe ninety thousand people there uh the university has like a way bigger presence in the community it's not quite as big a school i don't even know how many students go to uw madison do you know mm-hmm. like, i'm not sure no, i'm not sure so i think ku is usually between like 25 and twenty-eight thousand uh-huh. people which for a town that size is pretty notable and mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's a river valley, so I mean, there's some hills, there's plenty of trees, but it's also just like notably way more open and less dense than even around here. Like, okay, and definitely the further east you go, like if you travel between the two, it's a very pronounced difference. Mm-hmm. Especially like when I when you grow up there, like you don't think much of it, but then when you go away and you come back, you're like, wow, everything is so tiny here. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a big um, basketball fan being from Kansas? Yeah, definitely Jayhawks are yeah. near and dear to my heart. That's you can't even people that aren't really huge sports fans, like they kind of become Jayhawk fans if they live there long enough. It's yeah. just part of the culture. To the college team. Yeah. Yeah. Word. Um, what's the uh what's like the art scene or like art presence like in Kansas? Um, Lawrence has a pretty good scene. There's a lot of really talented artists that have come out of there um their program at KU is pretty good uh but it's just there's not enough population to really retain people like most people that are pretty successful move off somewhere okay uh I know several people have gone to New York and done pretty well uh Kansas City has a pretty good scene like if I was still living in the area I probably would have moved to Kansas City or just become like much more involved there because they have like a pretty um large gathering of galleries i think it was like 60 or 70 spaces that would open for their first fridays oh wow events and it was all like walkable and back when i started doing like some arts journalism stuff i started reviewing shows and i would just pick out like five that i could find something to say about positive or negative because a lot of them they're like oh it's cool but like it's not really pushing me one direction or the other and Hmm got to know a lot of the spaces that way and there's a lot of just opportunity because you can like uh schedule a show at one of those within like a couple months and just be like i just want to slide in here and show this stuff yeah not like a long waiting list like i feel like there kind of is in milwaukee sometimes totally (laughs) that's pretty solid um what what's your earliest art memory uh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't really start making art seriously until I was like a sophomore in high school. Okay. Uh, I guess like just seeing like my grandpa's watercolor paintings at our house, we had a handful of those and yeah, you just kind of, you see them all the time and you just kind of study them, analyze them. You sit there at the table and look how it's kind of put together mm-hmm. and figure it out. And that was like sort of some of the things that I started doing when I was really younger was just kind of mimicking those sort of things. And actually when I was moving things around here, I just, uh, found some of my old sketchbooks and like looked at things I was drawing like when I was like five or six and stuff. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Uh, There was a lot of that. Like I would try to like copy the painting that my grandpa had painted and he sort of was copying like Cezanne or something. Okay. So he did like landscape stuff. Oh yeah. It was like, he wasn't, an artist but he was a art appreciator and so he was like copying things from books like masters of the 19th century and stuff in watercolors okay cool. that's cool um so in 2008 you got your bfa in printmaking and art and you had an art history minor mm-hmm. um, at the university of kansas um and then t- 2011 you got your master of science in journalism also at the University of Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, doing printmaking and then art history minor, 
What made you go for your master's science in journalism? Uh, I always like to joke and say I just filled the form out wrong when I was applying for it. No, it was a. Uh, it was 2008 when I got my BFA and I did a summer or an internship at the Robert Blackburn printmaking workshop in New York. I was there for three months helping do that stuff and it was a great time. It was fun, but uh, it just kind of made me realize that wasn't the path forward for me because like I wanted to make my own stuff and I didn't want to put so much time and energy into producing other people's work. And that's kind of if you want to specialize in printmaking, you got to be involved with that in some way. And so I kind of had to take a step back and just be like, well, where do I want to go from here? It's just an open road. I can do, do a lot of different things. Sorry. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I used to smoke a lot. And I think it's like, I think I might have COPD or <laughs> All good. Whenever I talk a lot. <clears throat> but then uh, one thing I wanted to do better was learn how to write better. I've always been pretty decent in writing, mostly just from uh, learning how to, or paying attention to the books that I'd read and stuff and kind of drawing off that. And I always did pretty well in any classes where I had some writing to do. But I was like, I just want to like focus on that and get really good at writing. And I thought that might help set me apart in my art endeavors. And it definitely has, but uh, if I had like really sat down and thought about it, I probably could have found an easier, cheaper way of doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was, I actually first inquired about just like doing a second bachelor's because I was like, you know, I have all these general ed credits. Like, can this go towards uh, a second bachelor's degree? I could just take like a year of classes and like mm -hmm. get this get this under my belt. And they're like, oh, it doesn't really work like that because <laughs> like, we have degree specific requirements for like you need to have at least two years of proficiency in a foreign language yeah. and you have one of German and one of Spanish. So you'd be here at least two years just to do that. Mm -hmm. And I like these other things. And I was, she was like, or you could just go get your master's in two years. And I was like, I could just do that. I was like, no, yeah. like no experience whatsoever. She's like, Oh yeah, you got a bachelor's. So <laughs> you just got to apply and take the GRE and see how you do. And yeah. I got in somehow. <laughs> and it was, a, it, I learned so much that's like, uh, benefited my art, art career from that. Like mm. mostly just from like studying advertising. That was all part of it was sort of a broader look at mass communications and how to communicate to audiences of people. Mm -hmm. And that affected like a lot of my decision-making on the way that I made things or what I made or how I got it out there. And I think it's worked out pretty well. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a solid, uh, you know, skill to have to go along with trying to market your art or get it out there. Mm -hmm. um, or even just in terms of thinking about it and like a lot of younger artists, when you're like, well, who, who's your art for? Who's your audience? They just be like, well, it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like I want everyone to see it, but then you need to be real and be like, well, you know, grandmas and 14 year old boys like totally different stuff so yeah, yeah. you got to kind of aim towards one or the other a little right. bit and then start to pare down like well my art isn't for these kind of people i don't need to worry about trying to appeal to them yeah that makes sense um so then so what, what did you do between 
2008 and then when you went back and now you said you went to New York for a few months mm -hmm. um, was that also when you f did the sketchbooks the the New York sketchbook mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah that was just like I found this little spot along the East River when I was in New York for that summer and uh, I just sat and sketched the skyline and it was kind of based on doing that in Albuquerque and I lived out there too I'd climb up in the mountains and hike around and stuff and one day I just wanted to draw like the whole panoramic western uh, scenery mm -hmm. and so I just went from like one page to the next it filled up like 10 pages and I was like oh that's kind of cool it's kind of fun and then just started doing that with the New York skyline but that took like way longer because like I was getting pretty <laughs> detailed with it and yeah. I would just like you know kind of draw out uh, the grid of a couple lines for some of the windows and I could like fill it in with my pen later mm -hmm. so do a little shorthand on site but it was pretty much over the course of like three months of like returning to that sand bench and mm -hmm. just spending a lot of time going from one end to the next and okay when you were in new york too you said you were an apprentice for a printmaking printmaking shop uh it was just an intern oh an internship um what were you printing there because you said you know that made you realize you didn't really um, you didn't want to work kind of making other people's stuff you wanted to do your own uh sorry hang on no, that's okay. <laughs> what the young uh the young young coolman yeah. needs uh what do you think he needs toy i don't know uh, juice box what was your favorite juice box when you were a kid or did you not drink juice boxes i don't know i don't remember i mean capri sun high c those, those were good juicy juice juicy juice <laughs> that was what i used to drink when i was really young juicy juice yeah orange juice emergency <laughs> i was right yeah. <laughs> um um so some of the things that i worked on there specifically was uh I ground the stone for a Bove Lions print for a lithography print. They do a lot of lithography there. Okay. And uh, he's he teaches at University of Tennessee. He's pretty pretty well known in the printmaking spheres. And uh, I cut out a ton of Jenny Schmid uh, prints. She did these litho prints of these two. There was like two figures interacting with one another, and they were like kind of cut out. So that they could hang off the wall, like a little bit. They were like cutouts that would pop on the wall, and uh, I spent a few weeks exacting those out. <clears throat> yeah, but it's all just kind of like production-based stuff. There wasn't a lot of like I didn't need to use my creative juices at all. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like big difference between. You know, when you're making work for someone else versus just following your own, uh, you know, what you want to do, doing your own work. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, I think they're both rewarding, but doing your own thing is rewarding in a different way because you're seeing something you've conceived, you know, come to life. Mm -hmm. um, did that, did that like disappoint you though, that after you did that, you were like, oh, maybe this isn't what I want to do. No, it wasn't disappointing or like a bad experience. It was yeah. just sort of a realization. I was like, this isn't the direction. I don't want to dedicate myself more to this kind of work. So 
I just needed to find something else to do. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Amicable split. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <With> printmaking. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I do. I want to get into the podcast, but like most <clears throat> of my stuff is about that. I know that chronologically would be next, probably. Mm, but yeah, that'd be right after I uh, finished my journalism degree. I moved out to Boston for a couple years and did that. I did a few. I was trying to kind of kickstart doing art journalism stuff since I just had that under my belt and uh, wrote for this little site, what it was called, Arts Editor, did like a few little pieces for them, but uh, didn't get along with that guy very well, so that was pretty <laughs> short-lived. And I actually originally pitched the podcast to him first and uh, yeah, it just wasn't going well. I was like, I don't... I don't think I can work with you. And so I, mm-hmm. uh, this other website, Big Red and Shiny, had been around before, but it had kind of been on hiatus a few years, for a few years, and it just popped back up. Like, I'd never heard of it before because I wasn't from there. And I was like, oh, this looks like it kind of fits with what I do. And just approached uh, John Piper was the main editor then. He, he writes for a lot of different stuff. Like, I think he might write in art news or something, like mm-hmm. small articles and things. He writes for several publications. Um, yeah, cause I, it's interesting that you did it from 2012 to 2014 and I know podcasts like became a thing in like what, 2006, eight or something mm-hmm. like that. But Probably. it podcasts weren't even on my radar yeah. <laughs> uh, until like 2016 when I started working at, uh, I used to have fixed cameras and people there all listen to podcasts and I was like, what's that? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. ever since then, um, yeah, I was partly like inspired by uh, my friend Jason Barr back in Lawrence, Kansas. He ran on the ADD podcast for years, just mm-hmm. the arts podcast interviewing artists. And shout out to Jason Barr. What's up, Jason? Yeah, Jason shout Barr. out. Shout out. Jason. <laughs> um, how, how much did you, besides that podcast, how much did you know about podcasts back then? Not much, really. Mostly just listening to what Jason did. And like, I enjoyed certain aspects of what he did, but he's like, He's a very strong, different personality from what I am, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go for more of like a austere kind of Charlie Rose thing. And it was mostly just driven by like wanting to fill a void that didn't exist. There wasn't anything like that that existed in Boston. I knew that there was several interesting artists off the top of my head that mm-hmm. I was just interested in knowing more about what they did. And I was like, I can just kind of borrow the template of what Jason does, but just like kind of strip it down to what I want and use this to explore my space basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What, uh, what made you decide, uh, Boston? Uh, the girl I was dating at the time out there. Interesting. We'd been living together for like several years at that point. Yeah. Okay. She had got a job out there and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I suppose too. Like I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously the East coast, is uh, a lot of artists flock to that. Yeah, so. yeah. Like, I think uh, Boston suffers from a serious talent drain with New York being, like, that makes right there. Too. Like, yeah. that was kind of the vibe that I got from it. Like, way more than Milwaukee to Chicago, even, I think. Where, really? Because it's just, that's you're so close to the nexus of yeah. the world that, like, yeah. if you really want to take that next step, you kind of need to be there and... Yeah, I suppose it's like it's like a gravitational pull. It's like mm-hmm. the bigger the city, the stronger the <laughs> yeah the pull. And like oh, there was like I said, there was plenty of really talented people that were 
living in Boston and working around there, but uh, most of them are kind of younger. Like that's really who I was interested in talking to. Yeah. Also, was like people who are just out of grad school. Jeez, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie's got an itch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it seemed like anybody who really had like ambitions to mm -hmm. make it to the next step, like they kind of felt the need to take off. And so, uh, your show there, it was called Studio Sessions. Yeah. And you had 41 episodes. Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> um, and that was from October 2012 to August 2014. Mm hmm. Yeah, Not I ran it every two weeks, I think. I'd release a new one. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, I know you said that ran on the website, um, big red and shiny. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just pitched that to them and they were like, Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Here's a platform or yeah. Like they weren't paying me anything to do it. I was just like, I got this thing I want to put out there. You want to host it? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and they were super cool to work with. I like the spirit of what they were doing and things. I think it's, I haven't really checked on it lately, but it seems like the, Website's kind of stagnated since I left there because I continued running episodes after I moved away. Like I moved to Chicago in May of 2013, but I just had like all this backlog stuff because I knew I was leaving. So I stockpiled a bunch of interviews with people and just like continued releasing them after I was gone. Um, did you have a studio or did you do it at your house or did you go to the artist's uh, studios i uh, mostly did them on site like mm -hmm. i would i did a bunch with people in new york too um i would like i started out with like a dozen people i think i interviewed in the boston area mm -hmm. and then just like in the interest of trying to branch out a little bit i was like new york's like you know four hour bus ride away and i know friends i can stay with there so i would go down there for like a weekend and I would just do like three days of four interviews a day. I would give myself oh, wow. like <laughs> like an eight hour day to do four interviews and be like, okay, I finished this one. I got an hour to get across town, go interview this person for an hour and then to do it at one after the other. And yeah. Wow. I wouldn't really recommend doing that. <laughs> <laughs> if I listen back to some of like the third interview of the day, I'm like, man, I was really not on point or like, yeah. We've been there. Yeah, a lot of the <laughs> earlier there. ones we would do sometimes three in a day, and by the third one, it just like felt zapped. Yeah. You know? Um. So so yeah, big red and shiny. What what were they all about? Like, what kind of website was it? Uh, or is it? I guess I, in spirit, I'd kind of equate it to something like the Milwaukee Record mixed with mm -hmm. a little bit of like urban Milwaukee, mm -hmm. a little more. Not so casual as the Milwaukee record, but along those lines, you know, like okay, okay, open to exploring things that other bigger outlets would overlook, mm -hmm. but also touching on like some of the things. And they they had a journal that they did too, so they were like sort of a little bit more on the academic, scholarly end. Okay, cool. I gotta say, just real quick, it's kind of off topic, but my favorite Milwaukee record article <laughs> is um, they did they went to every. Uh, restaurant called number one Chinese <laughs> and they and then they ranked who was actually number one out of all the number <laughs> one <laughs> I know there's I could think of two off the top of my head how many are there oh I mean I think on this list there were like eight yeah maybe. but oh, they wow. went to like they went all over this area I don't think it was just 
in Milwaukee. But okay. my my favorite number one, they ranked like pretty low, and I was like, <laughs> I guess my taste is not as exquisite as I thought. I think the only number one I've been to is the the Bayview. That's one. the one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Uh, I think actually I did go to the one in Shorewood one time. I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Morgan and I just got crab rangoons. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty good. But where'd they rank? We got sushi. T- um, I'd have to have it again. I didn't get like because I I used to when I ate meat I would always like I would see who had the best orange chicken. Mm-hmm. You know. But <laughs> anyway, back to it. <laughs> um, so you said you would do like four in a day over a three-day span mm-hmm. was that normal or did you just when i made those trips to new york because okay. i was traveling all that distance i was like i really want to be efficient and mm-hmm. getting this done because if i had those dozen interviews that would last me for six months of publishing you know so okay. i could just take them all home edit them up and then have them sitting in a folder and then when two weeks came due i'd mm-hmm. post the next one up what made you decide on t- every two weeks uh, I just thought it was a pace I could keep up with, I okay. think, because, like, if you do something once a week, you're doubling your work as opposed to two weeks, and once yeah. a month is, like, too slow. Not like, enough you, to keep you engaged. You need engaged. enough of a stream to keep people, right. yeah. keep right. it the top of people's minds. Um, did you, how long did you spend, how long did you spend, um like researching everyone or did you just kind of just go into it? I did pretty minimal research intentionally Mm -hmm. that I just thought that was the, the best method that worked for me. And also I kind of forgot about this, but another thing that gave me the idea to do the podcast was when I was doing my journalism degree, I like, I did a project instead of writing a, an actual academic thesis. And my project was to like basically make a prototype of a, printmaking specific website and like just make feature content basically like mm-hmm. write articles about people that I thought were interesting okay. and from listening to those interviews when I was writing the the articles from them like after a while like you know the fifth or sixth one I'm like I could just like sit and listen to this interview like mm-hmm. this is getting pretty smooth you know yeah and so it was more just like I felt like I would ask better questions if I didn't know much about them because mm. if I know too much about them, then I'm like, well, I already know the answer. I can ask the question. But, uh, and it just That's worked for point. me. Like I would find different methods of looking for lists of artists or something. I just Google their name and image search basically. And if I got a sense that like this person is something I want to know more about, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued by this, I want them to tell me about it, then I would try to schedule them. Okay. And that was kind of before Instagram really blew up. How did you um, find the artists? Uh, I don't exactly remember, but mm-hmm. just like, you know, you kind of look for like, if I was looking in New York where I really didn't know anything, I just looked for like, you know, New York galleries and mm-hmm. then like try and find one that looked like they showed interesting stuff and also showed people that were in New York. And then I just looked through that list and be like, who's this, who's this, who's this? And mm-hmm. Finding organizations like that's pretty easy. And that all came from like having to do research for journalism too. Like you'd find some weird tricks just for like, I need lists of people in this profession. <laughs> like, yeah. And so just coming up with a way of like, where do those people congregate? How can I find them and dig through them? And 
how easy was it to secure those interviews once you found someone? Pretty easy. I mean, artists are pretty willing to talk about what they yeah. do. Like if anyone mm-hmm. takes interest in what they're doing, they're pretty in- generally interested in sharing it. So. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Yeah. I think I only had one person decline and it was, they were from a foreign country and they're like, or I had two people. They're like, they're like, I don't know if I could have a good enough conversation in English. So oh. I declined. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Um, so where did you, did you promote it anywhere or was it more of just like an outlet for you personally to keep exploring different? Yeah. I, I was hoping I'd get some traction, like get enough of an audience that I could like start asking big red for a little bit of money. Cause <laughs> like I said, I was doing it for free Yeah, and, uh, like I didn't keep up. I only was in Boston for a little over a year while I was actually running. So I didn't really have much of a chance before I was like, I'm not going to stick around here. Mm-hmm. So this is going to draw to a close as soon as I run out of episodes. But, uh, I don't really remember specifically like what I did, but I did what I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, to like, you know, starting something like that. It's hard to get people to, you know, give their time to listen and mm-hmm. things like that. So especially without, social media being where it is today mm. you know i feel like today it's like you can reach so many people so easily but like i do then, remember i started like a facebook page just for like my journalism stuff and mm-hmm. that did that was pulling in people that like i didn't personally know so mm-hmm. that was getting a little bit i think it's mostly just like a keeping at it if you keep at it you're eventually gonna snowball and pick up more people so yeah just persistence pays off <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know um what was your well how much time would you say do you think went into each episode between like editing and way too much (laughs) (laughs) that that was like one of the main things that i learned from doing that website that i did for my journalism project was like just how much time goes into Mm -hmm. this stuff like yeah Mm -hmm. because me with that with my project i think i was only trying to post like one feature article a week which I forget what my word count was for a minimum, but it was like at least, you know, 1500 words about an artist. So I had mm-hmm. to like sit there and write that article. And then just like the amount of time that goes into like formatting it and publishing it. I mean, this is like 10 years ago too. So like yeah. web tools might be a little smoother now. Yeah. <laughs> did you, you like you edited, edited it online or was there, what software did you use? Oh, the, was it just raw? Like yeah, a raw for the file? podcast. No, I edited it with something. I don't remember what I was using, oh. but, uh, it wasn't like a high dollar. It was like a pretty cheap audio program that I got. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your favorite part of doing the? Um, mostly just meeting the people. Like, yeah. and it unintentionally just like grew my you know contacts. But like, I'm still in touch via social media with most of the people that I interviewed, and that wow. they started doing that on their own. Like, because I didn't want to know too much about them beforehand. Like I said, so I wouldn't like facebook friend request them beforehand and then afterwards i was like well we're kind of we're done here but then they just started adding me and i was like yeah sure i'll be friends with you yeah, yeah. well yeah i would say that's probably my favorite part too is that we met some really kick-ass people mm-hmm. doing this yeah making friends and for sure i don't know everyone's pretty nice so mm-hmm. That's a prerequisite for coming on you gotta be nice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well if you're not nice you're not gonna get very far in the art world yeah. because I mean it's so 
really small. Like I can't even tell you how many times I've crossed paths with people like cross country, you know, like, mm-hmm. or been like, Oh, you know, this person, I know them too. How in the hell do you know them? <laughs> like, yeah. like, Oh, I saw them at this one thing. And just like paths you'd never think would cross. You're like, uh-huh. they're all interconnected. So if you're a jerk, we're just going <laughs> to everyone out. knows. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, did you have any, were there any standout moments during your whole time doing the podcast? Mm, not specifically. Like I did, uh, this interview with this guy, Rob Andrews, he doesn't do art anymore. I think he, he kind of went dark on the internet for a while. He had removed all of his stuff and like he went and got a master's in education. I think he's like a, a school principal now or something. So oh. I, and his work like involves some like kind of weird, crazy shit. <laughs> so like, I think he didn't want to have that associated with him as a, a high school principal or whatever oh. principal he is. He wanted to reform his image and be like, I'm an educator now. I'm not an artist, but yeah. um, I really enjoyed uh, my, I, did, I actually went and interviewed him the second time because like I enjoyed it so much. So wow. The first interview was pretty uh, good. If you can go listen to it, it's still on Big Red. Yeah. And then, so after, or I don't know, did you have more? Yeah. Um, did you, so, you know, we kind of touched on like editing and like finding people and stuff. Did you do everything yourself or did you have any help? Yep. One man army. One man. That's how I do wow. everything. <laughs> I built this whole basement myself. <laughs> do my whole podcast myself. That's, you know, if you're going to do anything, if you want it done right, <laughs> you got to do it yourself. Um, or if you don't have money, that too. Yeah, that too. Um, what do you listen to any podcasts now besides artists we know? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I just started listening to yours. I, I, I listened to the episode with the nobody guy. That was pretty interesting. Oh yeah, that was interesting for yeah. us too. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, not really. Like that might change a little bit because like my habits kind of dictate like what media I'm consuming and mm-hmm. uh I've mostly just been listening to a lot of music like I should get out of the way like I work for a painting company so like I mm-hmm. work a regular day job and before coronavirus my routine was like in the morning I'd listen to NPR get my news on the way to work mm-hmm. and then uh I'd listen to music usually like 91.7 or mm-hmm. like whatever discs I had in the car on the way home and then when uh, coronavirus hit I was like I do not want to hear a thing about the coronavirus yeah, yeah. so I just no NPR since then it's just been music all day every day and you can see yeah. I got like shelves of I keep all my physical media and yeah. so like I'll just go pull a handful down and it's like a random mix of like you might get like Willie Nelson you might get Scarface like, <laughs> you don't know ICP I got some ICP oh wow Diverse. It, there's a there's a wide rainbow of music to pick from and so it's just a grab bag and i'll just like be like what do i feel like listening to today what do i got to pick from these five six discs and yeah kind of those parameters dictate like what i'm taking in and like when i did listen to some podcasts it was mostly when i had like pretty active studio time in grad school and like i haven't really had that until i'm probably going to get that again now that i have a yeah. large studio to work in again uh-huh so maybe I'll listen to some more, but haven't for a while. <laughs> what? So are you? I'm, you said you have diverse music. If you had to pick like your top couple artists, who would you say are your uh, favorite? 
I guess like Doomtree out of Minneapolis or Rap Crew has got like Dessa and POS are the most famous figures out of that. Um, that's a group that I like. I've followed a long time. I've seen dozens of Doomtree shows. Uh, yeah, it all depends on like what the function is or what for like what era. Because like if you asked like what's your favorite stuff you listen to before college, I'd be like, oh, you know, Beastie Boys and Diggable Planets or something. Yeah. Uh, go through phases. Like I said, I got ICP. I don't actively like listen to them and buy, buy their stuff anymore, but I still got all their discs and I still like them when I put them on. So yeah. That was definitely like a before I was like 22 era. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, also, you mentioned uh, 91.7. What mm-hmm. station is that? Uh, it's WMSC. Okay. okay, I have been, I never listened to radio, and then Shane mentioned that he would put mm. that on sometimes. I've been listening to that nonstop. I listen to it before bed, even now <laughs> on the radio. Like, it's, especially at night, too, like, mm-hmm. I've, I think I've Shazammed at least, like, nine or ten. Yeah. Th- I was like, what is going on? Well, I didn't even know that was a station. And they, they pick their stuff by like the show so they'll have like a rock show mm-hmm. and then a rap show like different like hosts right yeah, I think yeah. each yeah. host has yeah. their own style yeah it's probably like my favorite radio station i've ever listened to because i mean it's pretty similar to uh 90.7 and lawrence mm-hmm. is the college station but mm-hmm. they don't have like uh djs with longevity i don't think it's usually it seems like it's usually students i don't think it has to be a student doing mm-hmm. it but uh people do a show for a few years and then they'll take off but like i really started listening to like the chicken shack on wmsd a lot it's like uh older country shows so like okay. they play the first hour is all the really old stuff he'll go back to like the 20s or 30s up to like the 60s and oh, then wow. the middle hour is newer stuff and then the third hour is the rock and roll hour some more rockabilly stuff but uh okay. johnny z he said he's been doing that show for like over 20 years oh, so, oh wow jeez He's, he knows his stuff and like it, that, I really like that show because like I like that music but that's one thing I don't have in my collection because it's just too much to try to figure out what's good I'm like, I just want someone to tell me what's good right, right, yeah. so I listen to Johnny Z it's so diverse oh um, uh, yeah what did you what do you have oh from that from there um, where did you move after Boston uh, Chicago for okay. a couple years. And were you pursuing art there or just kind of, was it kind of like a... Yep. Yeah, that was where I like really started making a lot more of my own art. Because like when I was in Boston, I spent a long time uh, making more commercially viable stuff. I made these like spray paint stencils of wildlife. And it was just like a idea I had following getting out of journalism school, like I said, thinking about how to make something for a specific purpose for a specific audience and then use it for that purpose. I was like, well, I don't always need to just make like highbrow gallery stuff. I can make stuff that sells too. And just like, you know, kind of market it as its own separately packaged thing, put it differently. And so I made like, you know, 60 or so of these paintings and it's a product. Like I made a stencil. It'd take me like a few hours to cut a stencil, Mm -hmm. but then I can buy pre-stretched canvases spray it on there in four minutes and sell it for 70 bucks right and so when you i think i totaled up my profit margin was like 90 percent or something on like each unit and like sold you know a few thousand bucks worth of stuff through etsy back then and that was like 
kind of the main thing I did while I was there for that like year and a half or whatever that I was working on that stuff. And I did some other more fine art things too at the time. But then when I moved to Chicago, that's when I was like, okay, I really want to get back to like building my practice again and figure out what that is. And, uh, did a lot of series of drawings that focused on like rooftop structures and like kind of infrastructural things of the city. Cause, uh, <clears throat> I guess being from the Midwest, it kind of resonated with me, like seeing all this like functionality, but in Chicago, it's even more so like right in your face. Like mm -hmm. you're riding the train, you look down and it's like air conditioners and right. and things. <laughs> yeah. And the, the function of everything is pretty ambiguous. Usually like you don't really know what everything's doing, but it's like, it's like a lot of boxes tubes and, and stuff tubes, like going yeah. in and out of these buildings yeah. and you start to see it as just form and that becomes pretty compelling space to explore. Yeah. Wow. What inspired the, um, when you said you made stencils, um, what inspired the designs? Um, I was just, it kind of came out of an idea of like, I wanted some like wildlife art for my house, mm -hmm. but it was really hard to find anything that had like a more modern sensibility and wasn't just like totally hokey looking. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, well, if I'm looking for this and I can't find it, that must be another. <laughs> Let's just wait for Charlie to finish here. Hey, dude. If I'm looking for this and can't find it, other people are probably looking for it and can't find it also. And so that was kind of the spark that was like, you know, I could do this series of things that people probably would want to buy. And, uh, um, so then the, uh, this might be out of order in terms of, you know, the, the timeline, but the, I hope I'm saying this right. Intaglio. Yep. Intaglio. In, Intaglio <laughs> prints. Um, where were you living at the time when you were doing those? Uh, which ones? Like there were some, look like? the ones that stood out to me were really like desolate looking like planes. And I thought maybe you were in Kansas or Albuquerque, but the mm -hmm. the, the bottom was kind of orange and there was like a sign. I can't remember what the sign, it was like the, a river or like something. Okay, I know which ones you're talking about. Yeah, yeah that's all from undergrad, like pretty much any um, printmaking stuff is going to be from undergrad just because like after I graduated, I didn't have the stuff to make it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that kind of informed how I worked after that, where I do like a ton of just like really no rules mixed media stuff and like how can I achieve this effect mm -hmm. and that all came from like well I don't have this equipment anymore to, so how can I kind of approximate what I was doing mm -hmm. but yeah those were from a undergrad and they were like from a period of time where I was sort of transitioning out of this like satirical cartoony really simplistic mode of drawing it was almost like single panel comics inspired mm -hmm. stuff to like something that's more artistic in mm -hmm. quotes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really like that's the one that knows what the satire <laughs> <laughs> um how long did each one of those take about you think uh i like the key image itself didn't really take that long to draw mm -hmm. but i remember i wanted it was like my personal challenge for me was i wanted to get three layers on a print usually like I was just doing one, like a line plate. Mm -hmm. I was like, I really want to try it. And ultimately I don't think the, like the colors that I had worked that well, but I think that three printing all three layers of the print took like an hour and a half, I think. 
Okay. So like doing an addition of, you know, eight took a really long time compared yeah. to what I was used to. <laughs> okay. Um, so were you in Chicago when you moved to Milwaukee to get your MFA? Yep. Okay. Okay. What, uh, what sparked you to go get your MFA in fine arts at UWM? Uh, I wanted to get my MFA just cause I was really like stuck. Like, mm-hmm. um, moving around was really good for like meeting artists and people in the art world, building connections, but constantly uprooting yourself. You're constantly breaking those really close ties mm-hmm. that you need to like kind of get ahead. Yeah. yeah. And so I wasn't able to really build like a career of anything. And so I just, I would move to a town and like, uh, in Lawrence, there's really not like a strong job market for anything outside of restaurants and retail. So that's mm-hmm. how I got started cooking in restaurants is like, uh-huh. this has a flexible enough schedule that I can work around school and whatever I have going on. And then when I moved, I was like, well, I have this experience. I can land this cooking job in a week, you know, yeah. as opposed to like sitting around for months, hoping I find something. Right. And then each time you move, you just like, I'm going to take the job that's sitting right there, you know, and yeah. before you know it, you just, you got this laundry list of restaurants you worked at and nobody will take you seriously for anything else. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I, I got to do something to shake it up. Cause I was like trying really hard to get out of restaurants in mm-hmm. Chicago and it just wasn't getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just beyond frustrated with this. Like this is, I was getting to the point that I would have to dedicate like way more time, like, you know, work 60 hour weeks to get more money that would like allow me to live comfortably. I'm like, but if I do that, then I don't have time for my studio. So mm-hmm. like, that's that's not gonna work and just started looking around at schools to apply to and had a connection to uwm where when i was doing my journalism project um a couple of people that i'd interviewed for the feature articles i was writing were professors there so i'd been up there in 2010 and interviewed them about their work and i was like oh i should draw an application there like mm-hmm. that seemed like they had cool studios jessica and nathaniel were cool and they were both on my Committee too, my thesis committee with Shane. (laughs) Cool. They're like the main people I worked with when I was in school there. Wow. And then so, um, you, you know, I was looking through your website. You use like a lot of different mediums, Mm -hmm. color, pencil, watercolor, um, some paper, um, like kind of tapestry stuff, spray paint, which is your favorite? To, to play with <laughs> uh i guess spray paint is the most fun to play with because it's the most immediate and like yeah quick but it's hasn't really had like the best results necessarily it's like <laughs> the kind of things that leads towards ideas of these colored pencil drawings that i do like building structures with these kind of preset grids that i'd cut out or something but then trying to get something other than just a grid to emerge out of that. It's like something a little more organic looking. And so I was able to kind of like quickly ideate those sort of things with spray paint. That was like one of the big things I started doing at the very beginning of grad school when I was getting out of my old method of working and moving into something else. But then once I kind of had learned a lot from that, I sort of moved on from it and refined. I'd, I'd say I'm just refining the same ideas with the colored pencil or with the watercolors. Okay. Now this one behind us, this is colored pencil, right? Yep. 
And so is each line... Did you just have to do each individual line, or did mm-hmm. you have like a... Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's I just had like a, a stencil that was like the size of that square, like four by four inches. So that's just one stencil repeated thousands of times with different colors of pencil. And there's a sort of like structure to it. Like you can see that the same stripe of mm-hmm. blue squares goes all the way up in a few spots and like red will repeat. So there's repetition, but then there's also some sort of chaotic noise around it. And it's just the process of coming up with different rules while I'm working or a schema where I'm like, I'm going to do this function. I'm going to make a stripe all the way up regularly. And then after that, I'd be like, what's happening? And I'm like, Oh, I could use a little more atmosphere. So I'm going to go with a lighter color and just kind of freestyle around. Like I'll be like, I'll do three squares around each blue one I just did, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily in a regular grid pattern. And then after I see what that's doing, I just build off of it. And so it really kind of grows after a while. How long do these typically take? I don't even remember, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be working on a few of those at once, kind of like, okay. I I probably had a wall about the size of that to work on at UWM. And so I'd have like multiples up and kind of jump back and forth because every now and then it starts driving you a little nuts. So you got to step back and be like, I'm just going to focus on something else for a while because this is like too many lines to look at yeah yeah it was probably like a, a couple good couple weeks i'd say of like full studio days it's almost like something kind of like zen about doing the same mm-hmm. line over and over again like that yeah definitely it's totally informed by my loose understanding of zen buddhism <laughs> <laughs> Um, so is this the kind of stuff that you're working on currently too? I, I do want to get into some more of this. I thought it was really exciting stuff and I totally could have, um, done my thesis show on this, mm-hmm. but I kind of felt driven to do something a little more ambitious for that. So yeah, I kind of set these aside and I was like, I can return to these and when I get back to these and like the series of watercolor paintings that I did right before that, or it was kind of concurrent. I was probably working on it at the same time at different points, but uh, I really enjoyed doing those like kind of simplistic grids of watercolor squares too. And that's all yeah. derived from like source photography that I did of buildings and stuff. So get back to doing some more of those and see where they take me. What do you think it is about these that you know, you took time off, but you would said you want to return to doing these again. What do you think it is about these that is drawing you back to them? Uh, there's just so many possibilities of where they could go. Like you can see the wildly different results between those two that you get. And that's just the difference of like the functions that I picked. I could just work with a four, four inch square mm-hmm. for like the rest of my career if I really wanted yeah. to. I would get bored of it and stop before that, but yeah. I feel like there's more area to explore. Yeah, there's almost something, you know, it's not exactly chance or random, but like when you're able to, when you have the stencil, um, you know, it just seems like the possibilities are endless. You know, mm-hmm. you can make like infinitely different works, you know. Yeah, a lot of it is, same. a lot of what makes it intri- interesting is the chance aspect of it where Mm -hmm. it's hand drawn and like, I'm not, I would say if you, um, did this with a machine, like if I did this on 
Photoshop or something that had perfectly crisp lines, like mm-hmm. it would just feel like repellently alien, you know, it just look yeah, like, like soulless for sure. Yeah. But uh, because it's like pencil, it's not an even line. Like mm-hmm. it's got that sort of stipple as it goes across the wall mm-hmm. and they curve a little bit, you know, and it's like that evidence of the hand is, I was just going to say that exactly. Uh, it's so integral to, making it interesting and that's kind of what i wanted to highlight was like the only thing that's making this worth looking at is like the fact that i did the variation it's not it's not about the the grids or the squares or the colors it's the fact that it's done by hand handmade object and that's kind of why like we were talking a little bit earlier about they're way different to see in person like Mm -hmm. i intentionally don't try to like present them well online like Mm -hmm. i put up the photo and like that's all you get like Mm -hmm. If you don't get to see it in person, you don't ever get to understand like the depth of the marks that are on there or anything. And it's, I just don't think it's worth my time to try and cater to people like, yeah. on a screen when they're not meant to live on a screen. Right. That's something we were kind of talking with Shane about was like, you know, in, in this day and age, it's like you have to, there, it can't be the same exact thing on the screen and in person otherwise why bother seeing it in person Mm -hmm. you know it's like it has to be a different experience Mm -hmm. um on the screen Mm -hmm. and in person i think this you know when i saw it on the screen um i was kind of puzzled like you know how how did you make that what did you use Mm -hmm. you know the stencil paint yeah they look a little intriguing because they're like they're fuzzy and colorful and you can't quite make total sense of it but Mm -hmm. you get the whole story when you can see it up close and be like oh i really see everything that's happening now and it's just like shrinking it down too Mm -hmm. it's like that's something i really try to push back against is like you can't experience this looking out on your phone right you're never going to yeah (laughs) it's a way different experience and so i'm not even going to bother to try because otherwise it just be like a series of a thousand detail shots and it's like you're still not getting it you're just seeing like little pictures on your phone just go see the drawing (laughs) yeah it's like something's missing on Mm -hmm. the screen you know something gets taken away from the experience yeah and that became something that i was thinking about a lot when i was in grad school making all this stuff and what kind of informed a lot of how i did built on my thesis show was like kind of a backlash against screen culture Mm -hmm. being able to digest things through a phone or a computer screen and my thesis show, I made it in an entirely dark room, so you cannot photograph it. Like, mm-hmm. my documentation of it is just, like, a lot of still photos that are, like, they give you the idea, but since it's so dark, like, there's no way that I can accurately present to you, like, what it was like to actually be there and see yeah. it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was the feeling I got when I watched the video and went through the pictures. Um, you know, it was definitely, like, a you-had-to-be-there moment, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if you, if you had to guess, what do you think, do you think COVID, what kind of impact do you think COVID will have on art, if any, in your opinion? On my art? In your art or just art in general, the art world, shows, Um, galleries, everything. Do you think there's going to be a big shit? I know it's hard to tell this early, but yeah, if you had to. Yeah, I don't I know. I think it's mostly just going to cruise right along. It's like a lot of venues are going to shut down and then a bunch more are going to open later mm-hmm. probably. And, and Shane's uh, interview that you guys were kind of talking about it, mm-hmm. he was talking more about like the 
kind of commercial sales galleries and like those aren't places where I show really. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I don't really think about like what that scene is going to be like, but Mm -hmm. more of the artists run spaces and things like that. It's like, yeah, people are going to just like shut down for a long time, but then Mm -hmm. they're just going to do the same thing that they were doing right when things can open back up is like finding an opportunity space and being like, I can do something here, um, for low risk or no risk, like just kind of use this space and like display art. Yeah. I feel like if you, you know, ran a gallery and you had to shut down, if you, if you had that like spirit, when you found the opportunity to make something work again, you would, you know, no matter what the circumstances, even if it was like smaller or, Mm-hmm. less idea whatever it's like i feel like you know people are still going to find a way to make things work because mm-hmm. it's something that it's not with with art to me at least it it feels like it's not really something that's like a choice it's like something inside of you it's like you have to just mm-hmm. you have to do this you know um or even like a lot of the big money galleries that like sell you know million dollar paintings or whatever it's like they might be fine too because mm-hmm. they really don't need a street presence like they yeah. they mostly sell to like a client list of people right. they know so they could just be like hey jerry come over and check this painting <laughs> out that i think you'll like and yeah make the sale there i was some of these commercial galleries it's like they're not looking for people to come in off the street and buy stuff it's like mm-hmm. they already know who they're selling things to it's just like a a store for rich people that we happen to get to walk into and look yeah. around at things yeah. a little yeah. bit a window <laughs> shop right <laughs> So they might be fine. Who knows? Yeah, I can see that. Um, kind of a, you got something? Well, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, I saw you got quoted in the Washington Post. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that was Holy wild. <laughs> and so you made like a, a pe- like a, almost, oh, I, it looked I like a collage. Here, if you want to see oh, it. perfect. <laughs> the thing lies in the flesh. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so the story with that. Yeah. <laughs> that all started uh it was like August of 2016, like way before anyone thought Donald Trump could actually be president, or at least I did. Yeah. I was like he's not going to be president, but um I was looking through like Trump. a a call for entry website. Or as as actually called callforentry.org. And uh, I saw this call for something called like Artists for Trump Coalition. I was like, Artists for Trump? What the hell is this? (laughs) And I click on it and it was just obviously like one dude like wanting to put this thing together and trying to make it sound like way more grand than it actually was. And so I, I just had this like funny image of like what pro-Trump art would look like. And I was like, I'm going to submit this, you know? And I just made this ridiculous collage, like, just turned the dumb factor up to 12, you know? Like, yeah, I love the text. I mean, it, <laughs> it's based on, there's, like, those flags and shirts they sell of, like, there's a picture of Trump, like, standing on a tank with, like, fireworks going off behind yeah. him. And I was like, this has more explosions, more guns, and it's got boobs in the corner. Like, yeah. And cars and... And I just tried to like 
do the quickest hack job on I could as if like, you know, I just learned how to make how to use Photoshop like ten minutes before and like, yeah. so everything's like, you know, cut out with a polygonal lasso, didn't clean up the edges, like ton of filters dropped over stuff and uh or just like using the magic wand to select stuff and like delete and like not cleaning up the edges because like the tolerance is all off and stuff just like just making it look just totally awful in every way that I could but it actually took like a lot of work to try to figure out how to like fit it all together so it was visible I had to use the explosions to like halo around everything because otherwise it's just like the stack of crap and you can't <laughs> see like what all is going on so it did take a little problem solving to make it at all like vis visibly legible and then uh i decided i was mostly just gonna like post it on facebook or something to laugh about with my friends but i was like i'm gonna submit it to the student see what happens and to kind of sell it a little bit i wrote that email you can read just like full of misspellings like yeah. the camera and stuff like <laughs> trying to make it sound like i'm basically illiterate like, <laughs> so i was just like you know if, if i write like i normally do he's never gonna believe i made this like horrible looking thing and lo and behold he like he accepted it and like sent a certificate of like Oh, so that, this is all legitimate, then? Yeah, like that. Oh, I thought you fabricated Joe <laughs> no, Fish no, no. that certificate. Wow. I was, I was accepted into the Artist for Trump Coalition. I'm still a member, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Which, being a member, just means you get emails from the guy. Like, there's nothing to it. <laughs> Amazing. That's hilarious. Wow. But then, like, he... Uh, the guy that runs the thing is uh, named Joe Fish. And don't contact him if you're going to be mean to him. He's a... He's a, seems like a reasonably nice guy. <laughs> just to anyone listening out there, don't harass him. It would just add to his like kind of delusions of persecution and whatever. But wow, uh, he was really gung ho about like trying to promote this and make it into a big thing. And I, I do sincerely call him delusional because he would in his emails write about how like art historians are going to refer to the Artists for Trump Coalition movement. I'm like. They're not going to know you exist. Yeah. <laughs> they never will. <laughs> like, wow. That you're just like a dude that's putting something together and that's cool. You want to like try to put something together, but be real about what it is. You know, like you're not going to be shown at the Whitney by any or <laughs> anything. And uh, so he reached out to all these different people and he actually, or I think he was approached by this guy from a gallery at a university nearby in like Baltimore or something. It was Howard County Community College. And they were looking for political art and they wanted to get both sides of the spectrum. And they were like, it's, I was like, it's probably pretty hard to, you know, find pro Trump artists. And so they found <laughs> this thing and they're like, Hey, if you, if any of your people want to submit to this, we're looking for stuff along these lines. And so I submitted my piece to that curator and, I let him know the whole deal. I was like, this is a prank piece. Like he accepted it. Like here it is. And he's like, he's like, that's interesting. Like I want to show it. And could you like frame it with the certificate in there too? And I actually have like a different version that it's actually over here. I think and it's in a gold frame. Cause it's more Trumpy that way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it didn't have, I didn't have the email. Cause I, I didn't think this was going to go anywhere. So I didn't save that email. It's the only copy of that email that I have that I printed out. <laughs> and, uh, so it appeared in a real show based on just like weird little prank that I did. <laughs> 
And then to try and amp it up even more, he like started reaching out to all these journalists in the area to get them to write about the show to legitimize the Artists for Trump Coalition and their appearance in this show. And uh, he reached out to some dude at the Washington Post to write about it. And he was like, he's interested in writing about the show. If you want to get, get at him, email him and schedule an interview. And I was like, hey, I told him the whole deal. I was like, I'm in this thing, like I'm in the show, like I'll do an interview. And he like found my weird little prank, like amusing. And <laughs> I did like a hour long interview with them or something. Wow. Uh, unfortunately that article did not happen. I was kind of bummed, mm. but, uh, yeah, it's been so long since all this stuff happened. Cause then I kind of ran afoul of Joe fish where he was suspicious that, uh, Oh, here's how it happened. <laughs> he was like kind of weirded out that uh, the guy seemed so interested in talking to me, and he like kept trying to probe me and be like, "Hey, if you want to like you know send me your artist statement or something, like I can maybe make this happen." And I'm like, "Dude, I already did the interview. It's all good." <laughs> like, and he was kind of trying to feel me out. I think like started for the first time suspecting I might not be genuine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I was in that show, like it was me him and i think one other person from the little group got into that show he posted like all the images that got into the show on his website and at that point like somebody in the artist for trump coalition got a hold of him and was like dude this guy's clearly fucking with you <laughs> <laughs> and then he circulated an email that i didn't get he kept it from me that's one interesting thing about him is he's like i have no idea how many people are in this group or like who they are and except for like the people whose images have appeared on the website, yeah, <laughs> which is like five or six people. And uh, he sent an email around and was like, what should we do about this Matt guy? Like, I think he just like sent us this prank piece and <laughs> they took a vote on like whether or not to kick me out. Of the coalition? Like, Get kicked out of what, man? All I did was like send you a JPEG. He sent me one back. This isn't a membership of anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, then I just got this like email out of the blue that from him that was like, so it's I've come to the conclusion that uh, our site is not the logical place for anti-Trump art. So we're still going to recognize past winners, but we're not going to display their images. And like my name and thumbnail is still on the site, but if you click on it, it doesn't have the full image. It says <laughs> image removed. <laughs> <laughs> And then after that whole thing, like, uh, it was about, it was sometime earlier this year. Um, I had done that interview with the post guy and he was, he's an editor there now. And some guy that was writing for him wanted to do an article about aesthetics in the Trump era and had that reference. He was like, Oh, I talked to this guy a while ago. And he's like, you interviewed with my editor a while back. You want to do an interview on this? I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I finally got my appearance in the, the Washington Post <laughs> four years later. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, That's hilarious. It's so wild to think about a time when it was, you know, Trump being president was just inconceivable. Mm. You know, it's like, it just seems like a totally different world. Yeah. Um, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I love the certificate. Like the, I mean, the whole thing is just with the email too. Yeah, didn't he? What font? Did he use like papyrus font or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it looks like Yeah, it's got papyrus on it. <laughs> Look at that logo. Wow. Amazing. 
I'll have to put a picture Middle of this up. Middle schoolers could do better work. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, Instagram. Um, <clears throat> wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we wrap things up? No, not really. No. Do you want to shout out uh, your website and your Instagram and stuff? Oh, yeah. My Instagram is <clears throat> at MLCoolman. Got my middle initial in there. Uh, <laughs> my website is just mattcoolman.com. I'm pretty easy to find if you just Google Matt Coolman artist. If you just Google Matt Coolman, there's a male model in Chicago <laughs> that comes up before me, I think. So you could check him out, too, but also check me out while you're, while you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, really, really interesting, uh, you know, talking to you, especially, you know, you kind of, you did a show that was like kind of a precursor to what we're doing, you know, fascinating. Mm -hmm. I think your show is maybe a little more sophisticated than ours, but, um, <laughs> you'll you know, get there. Same idea. Yeah, we'll get there. You learn so much, like talking to different art. I did at least yeah. like your knowledge of the art realm just explodes. Like once. I would listen back to some of my old interviews and I'd be like, oh yeah, we, that was like one of the first places I heard about this book. And now mm -hmm. like, I know all about it because I studied it yeah. like, later on. But Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely learned a lot talking to everyone. Um, yeah. But thank you for having us in yeah. studio. Yeah, thanks thank for coming. You. I'm excited fun. to see what, uh, what's next. For sure. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, artist we know, this is Aiden. This is Kyle. This is Matt. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.